Welcome to the Founder Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Founder or how you can get involved, visit thefoundrychurch.com. Well, the life of Susanna Wesley was difficult to say the least. She was in poor health. Her marriage to a penniless preacher was deeply dysfunctional. She watched her house burn down, not once, but twice. She watched her husband go to jail, not once, but twice. She lost nine children in infancy and raised ten more. When the preacher that came in to take over for her husband couldn't keep the congregation's attention, she started a Bible study in her kitchen. And they soon had to leave the kitchen and leave the house completely, actually, and move to the barn because over 200 people began joining Susanna Wesley every Sunday to hear her dissect the scriptures and sing hymns. While all of this was happening, she was also homeschooling her 10 children, teaching her daughters the same as her sons, which was unheard of at the time. She also gave each of her children an hour of one-on-one time every single week. How did she do it, right? How did she do it? How did she uh, survive the heartbreak of losing children? How did she survive the, uh, the frustration of a husband that just couldn't get it together? How did she survive watching her house burn down, not just once, but twice? How did she bear the weight of a church on her shoulders? Prayer. Simply put, Susanna Wesley was a woman of prayer. She, was, she would pray as much as she could, spend as much time with Jesus as possible. In fact, when she couldn't find space to do it because her house was small and got smaller every time it burned down and there was 10 children running around, she would lift her apron up over her head to pray. That was her prayer closet. And her children knew not to disturb her there. Probably because she looked a little crazy, but they knew not to bother her there. And that's where she would pour her heart out to the Lord. It's where she would mourn the loss of her children, where she would seek reconciliation for her dysfunctional marriage. It's where she would pray for the future of the church and the future of her kids. And those prayers... Those prayers very much changed the world. They changed the world. Two of her children, John and Charles Wesley, rose to international fame as preachers and songwriters. You might know a couple of the things they've done, like Christ the Lord has risen today and hark the herald angels sing. They started the Methodist church movement. And because of that movement, over 80 million people and 130 countries around the world have come to know Christ because of that movement, which is because of the prayers of their mother. 
80 million people have had their lives changed. 80 million people have had their eternities changed due to the prayers of a housewife with a hard life and infuriating husband living in a small town. I don't know about you, but that that story of Susanna Wesley gives me hope. Gives me hope that maybe God hears my prayers after all. Even when it seems like he doesn't, even when it seems like he's, he's a little late to the party, even when it seems like he's just not listening, maybe he does hear. And maybe he does answer. Maybe you're holier than I am and you've never questioned God and you've never questioned if he's really there, if he's still working miracles, if he's still showing up and showing off like he seemed to do in the Bible. But if you have, if you're as unholy as I am, you're in good company. Susanna Wesley certainly had those thoughts. Surely when her house was burning down, not, maybe not the first time, but surely by the second time, she was saying, God, where are you? I thought you were my provider, but everything I have is gone now. Surely after her husband went to jail a second time, God, you're supposed to be my comforter, right? But my greatest source of comfort is gone. Surely after the death of her seventh or eighth or ninth child, God, I thought you were a healer. Are you still in the healing business? Is that still something you do? I think Susanna Wesley had a lot of the questions that we have about prayer, about if it matters, about how to pray the right way, how to pray in a way that moves the heart of God. I don't think that's only you and me. I think the disciples had a lot of those questions as well. In Luke chapter 11, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it there. And you're watching online, so you have a Bible, just Google it. Luke chapter 11, you'll find it. The disciples go to Jesus with this request. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I think they asked that, again, because they had the same questions that we have, because they observed something in the life of Jesus that was different than their lives, right? If we look through the scripture, we can see that. It's clear Jesus is more connected to God than I am. Jesus is more connected to God than you are. They're, they're, they're watching Jesus preach with power and authority, power and authority that no man should have. He preaches with the authority of heaven. And we watch him perform miracle after miracle. He's walking on water. He's turning water to wine. That's a cool trick. He's, <laughs> he does things like spit in the ground and make mud and wipe it on a blind man's face and the blind guy can see. 
He's calling into tombs to, to dead men, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus got up and came out of the tomb. This is what the disciples are observing every single day. And it had to make them go, how does he do that? <laughs> how does he do that? But there's something else they observed him do over and over and over before the miracles, before the teaching, after the miracles, after the teaching. He prayed. Over and over we find Jesus praying. He gets up in the morning, he leaves to pray. He goes and he climbs a mountain and he prays. He leaves after dinner and he goes to pray. We can't find Jesus. Where is he? Oh, he's over there praying. And the disciples must have found that there is a correlation. There has to be a correlation between the prayers of Jesus and these amazing things we're witnessing. And they had to be saying, I want that. <laughs> I want that. I want to be able to do the impossible. I want to be able to participate in God, with God in life change. That's what they're requesting here. When they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to move the heart of God. Teach us to pray so God hears us. I think Jesus saw the wisdom in that request. And so he gives them this kind of template for prayer. He obliges them. He says, okay, this is how I do it. And if uh, you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard this prayer, you maybe have memorized this prayer. It goes like this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In its original language, it's about 21 words long. And in its original language, it rhymes. So when, when, when the disciples come to Jesus with this request, teach us to pray, he hands them this short little poem. And I don't know about you, but if, that, if I were one of the disciples, if I was Peter or John or Matthew, I don't think I would have been very impressed a, a, a poem, Jesus, this can't be what, uh, this can't be the prayer that moves mountains. This can't be the prayer that, that heals the sick, that opens blind eyes. This can't be the prayer that makes the, uh, the lame walk and the mute tongue talk, can it? Come on, give us the real prayer, the Jesus prayer. But Jesus doesn't give them a chance to ask that question. He doesn't give them a chance to push back at all. When we read this in Luke or where it's recorded in Matthew as well, we, we don't find where Jesus stops teaching there. He just keeps going. And I think he did that on purpose. I think he kept teaching there because he wanted that, that prayer to bother us a little bit. 
He wanted us to, to sit there and really consider the words and the weight of these statements that he is making. That's what I want to do for just for the next few minutes today is consider the weight of these statements, our Father in heaven. And then as we leave here today, I want us to, to pray like Jesus. Let's start the way Jesus started, our Father. What a wonderful way to begin a prayer. Uh, Father seems to be Jesus' favorite uh, descriptor, favorite term for God. Over 165 times throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus referring to God as Father. Which means that, and he's inviting us to do the same. So we get to go to God and start with relationship. So we get to start with the assumption that he loves us and is for us. And think of all the things that are are captured in the word father. Leader, provider, protector. God is that in so much more. And this, this word father doesn't amaze us because we hear it all the time in our, in our churches. But listen, to the disciples, to the men hearing the words of Jesus that day, they would have been astonished. They grew up in a culture where you didn't say the name of God because if you got it wrong, it was a sin. You don't want to offend God. And so you keep his name out of your mouth. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to keep God at a distance. In fact, he invites you to come towards him. He invites you to come to him like a child coming to a parent. Our Father in heaven. Let's talk about that phrase, in heaven, for a moment. That just speaks to the power of God, right? It's a reminder that he is the creator of all things, that he is above all things. And he is the giver of life. See, the words, our father, speak to God's availability to hear your prayers. The words in heaven speak to his ability to answer them. He is available to you and he has the power to give you what you need. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name. Holy is your name. To be holy means to be set apart. It literally means a cut above. To be set apart. The way uh, the the prophet Isaiah described this, he was actually uh, writing down the words of God. He says, my ways are higher, my thoughts are deeper. God's ways are higher, God's thoughts are deeper. So in the first few lines of this prayer, we're acknowledging uh, the love of God, the power of God, and that he sees things that we don't see. And he knows some things that maybe we don't know. His ways are higher. His thoughts are deep. He is holy. He is without sin, without blemish. A contrast with you, (laughs) Can you say that you're without sin or without blemish? Probably not, right? So we're acknowledging the the holiness of God, the power of God, and then we get to this line that is one of the most difficult lines in this 
prayer. There's a more painful line coming up, but this is probably the most difficult. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's why this is difficult. It requires submission. It requires surrender. It requires us to to acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that we may not know it all. It requires me to say, God, even though I want this, if you don't want that, I don't want it. It requires me to give up my wants and my desires for someone else's. Not my will be done, your will be done. Not my will, thy will. Where do you need to pray for the will of God in your life? Where have you been praying for something and you need to stop and say, God, no, no, I'm done asking for what I want. What do you want? I submit to you. I surrender to your authority because like we just said, his ways are higher, his thoughts are deeper. He has the authority of heaven and I trust that you love me because you're my heavenly father, amen? Where do you need to ask for God's will in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships, in your career? God, your will be done in my marriage. Your will be done in my career. Your will be done in my finances. Y'all, if we, if we stopped praying there, with your kingdom come and your will be done, I think we'd see a lot more of our prayers answered. If we stopped right there and said, God, you are in control and I trust you, so show me what to do. I submit myself to you. What might happen in your life if you you started praying like that? And though that might be true, One of the most wonderful things about Jesus is he still invites us to ask. One of the most amazing things about your heavenly father is he still invites you to ask with this next line in this prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus knows that we could stop with your kingdom come and your will be done. He says, you know what? You can still ask me. You can still Come to me with your thoughts and fears and hopes and dreams and wants and needs. Give us today our daily bread. And again, this is a a place where uh, Jesus' audience heard something that we don't quite hear. Many of the men surrounding Jesus that day would have been day laborers, right? So they got up, they went to work, they got paid, and then they were able to feed themselves or feed their family. And so if they took a day off to go listen to the teachings of of a rabbi named Jesus who wanted to talk about prayer, they may not be eating that night. So this really hit home for the people listening to Jesus that day. When Jesus said, you get to pray, give me today my daily bread. Look to God as your source, as your provider. Because every good gift comes from above as James would later write. 
Give us today our daily bread. Earlier I mentioned that we'd get to a more painful line of this prayer. Surrender, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, That's difficult. This next line is probably the most painful piece. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's split that up. Forgive us our debts. What does that require? (laughs) That requires me to take stock of myself, to, to look at my own heart and say, I have sinned, I have fallen short of your glory, God. I am in, I am in need of your forgiveness. It requires me to look at my heart and say, what actions and attitudes and thoughts are not of you, Lord? Where do I continue to fall short over and over again? Forgive me. Listen, I don't want to examine my heart, and I certainly don't want God or anybody else to, but she's saying this is, this is part of it, and the reason he says this is because this is where life change happens. This is where transformation happens with forgiveness. Who do you need or asking for forgiveness? And then he says you need to uh, forgive those who have hurt you. That may be even more difficult. More difficult than just than, than examining your own heart. Now you need to say, okay, this person hurt me, but I'm gonna forgive them. This person said, and I know some of you have dealt with things in life that I can't even imagine. You've dealt with pains that are too great for me to bear, but Jesus is saying you need to forgive. You have to forgive in order to be forgiven, he would later say. Forgiveness is crucial to our faith. It's crucial to prayer. Because, listen, I, I, I know you were hurt. I know she said that to you. He did that to you. But listen, Jesus' blood was shed for him too. Jesus' blood was shed for her too. You need to forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. It's painful. It's painful. But again, this is where transformation happens. This is where life change happens. I'm hanging out here for a second because I think there are people listening to this that really need to forgive. There are things that have been holding you back for years because you refuse to let them go and let God move in the situation. And I know, I don't know what he said. I don't know what she did. I know that was a terrible thing. I don't know, but Jesus does. She's saying, listen, I will take that burden. I will bear that pain. You have to let it Go, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he ends it like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, lead me away 
from the things that have, have put a wall between us. Lead me away from my sinful life. Lead me in the way of righteousness. Lead me in the way of the everlasting is the way that King David would have put it. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me not to evil, but to you. Lead me daily. What Jesus is saying here is get up every day and say, all right, God, what do you have for me? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to do with me? What do you want to say through me? Lead me, Jesus. Make me holy like you are holy. Make me righteous like you are righteous. I invite you into my, into my life, into my day, every single day. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lead me to your cross, Lord. Lead me. What if we prayed like that? What if we really prayed the way that Jesus instructs us to pray? What if we actually used that template that he gave us? What might change in your life? What might change in your family? What might change in your career, in your finances? What might change in the world if we all prayed like that? If we took him seriously? When he says, pray for my kingdom to come and my will to be done. Not my kingdom, your kingdom, God. If we remember that we are talking to an all-holy, all-powerful God who is also a loving father. What if we really prayed like that? Instead of how I usually pray, which is, God, please give me this, please give me that, please help that person, let your will be done. What if we prayed like Jesus? Thanks for listening to the Foundry Church Podcast. We'd love to stay in touch. Visit us online at thefoundrychurch.com or connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at thefoundryburk.